The following program is sponsored by the National Prayer Chapel. If then you were raised up with Christ, you must seek the things above, where Christ is sitting at the right hand of God. You must set your mind upon the things above, not upon things of earth. 
for you died and your life has been hid with Christ in God. When Christ our Lord may be manifest, then also you will be manifest with him in glory. Accordingly, you did voluntarily put to death your members that are upon the earth. Sexual immorality, uncleanness, lustful desires, evil desires, greed, which is idolatry. Because of these things, the wrath of God is coming upon the sons of disobedience, in which you also walked at one time when you used to live in these things. But now you did also voluntarily put off all these things, anger, wrath, ill will, evil speaking, slander, obscene speech out of your mouth, You must not lie to one another, having already put off the old man with his practices and having already put on the new man, the one being renewed in true knowledge according to the image of the one having created him, where there is not Gentile or Jew, circumcision or uncircumcision, foreigner, Scythian, servant, free man, but Christ is all things and in all. Therefore you must put on as chosen ones of God, holy and pleasing, deep feelings of compassion, kindness, humility, courtesy, patience toward others, bearing with one another, freely favoring each other. If anyone may have a a complaint against another, just as Christ freely favored you. In this manner you also do. And above all these things, have love, which is the bond of perfection. Colossians, the third chapter, 1 through verse 14. Welcome to Pilgrim's Progress. I'm Pastor Ray from the National Prayer Chapel. I'm glad you've joined us today. I was awakened early in the hours this morning, and the Holy Spirit said to me some very distinct words. This is what he said to me. The root of self must be severed. The root of self must be severed. I've been speaking with you all week about the Beatitudes, the be happy attitudes. And we've been looking especially at the first one, blending then into the second because they walk hand in hand. Blessed are the poor in spirit. Blessed are those who are in grinding poverty with no hope of changing their situation. In spirit, this is not talking about poverty of wealth, economic deprivation. This is speaking about poverty of spirit, a grinding poverty. Theirs is the kingdom of heaven, the front door, the only door into the kingdom of heaven is to finally come under deep conviction and deal honestly 
with your soul. As Charles Finney many years ago came to the conclusion that he was in dire condition before God, that he must deal with his soul and make a determined effort to secure his salvation. Unfortunately, there is a path that many have followed that side path that goes around dealing with your sin. It'll sound strange, but we need to talk about it today. I'm going to share with you a portion of the story of Pilgrim's Progress as written by John Bunyan. I'm reading from a translation by C.J. Lovick. He has given me written permission to read this on the air. We are at the place where he has, Christian has climbed out of the swamp of despond. He is filthy dirty, muddy. He stinks. That is the true condition of every man and every woman, every boy and every girl, until we're washed in the blood of Jesus Christ and made clean. But now... Evangelist has told him to go to the narrow gate, the suffering gate, the groaning gate. That is the only entrance into the kingdom of God. You cannot access heaven by any other door. That's why Jesus said many are called, but few are chosen, because few choose to deal with their wicked hearts. I've been praying last night and all this morning that God would use the words that I could speak, that they would be his words, and that he would move on your heart, that he would crush your casualness and your self-love and approbation, that that he would cause you to come under deep conviction and that you would recognize and smell the miry swamp of your life. Now, it's plain to me that this passage in Colossians that I've just shared with you is still the condition of many who call themselves Christians. They're still full of judgment and anger and gossip They're still full of hatred, judgment. Why? Because they've never dealt to the bottom with their own wicked heart. They have put on Christianity, but they have not dealt with their heart. They call that grace, but it's not grace at all. It's just It's just legalism. Oh, you sound shocked that I would say that. Believing in the sinning Christian is legalism. Well, let me share with you what Bunyan had to say about this. 
as our our man Christian is going toward that narrow gate in the fullness of his filth and stench, aware of of his condition before a holy God. He's met by a well-dressed man, and this man wants to turn him aside from the narrow gate. This man is called legality, a judicious man of very good reputation, He has the skill to help men of burdens like the one you have on your shoulders. To my knowledge, he's done a great deal of good in this way. He also has the skill to cure those who become mentally unbalanced because of their burdens. My advice is to go to him immediately so that you can be helped. His house is not quite a mile from here, and and if he is not at home, then his son, who is called civility, will help. Follow my instructions and you'll be eased of your burden. Rest assured that if you decide not to go back to the city of destruction, you can send for your wife and children so that they may live with you in the village of morality. There are many empty houses in the village. I'm sure you can live in one of them for a reasonable rate. Daily necessities are also cheap and good there as are all things you need to live a happier life, including honest neighbors, good credit, fashionable surroundings. All these good things are waiting for you in morality. Now, Christian was rather taken back by everything that Mr. Worldly Wise Men told him. But he presently concluded that if what the old gentleman said was true, then his wisest course was to take his advice. Sir, which way do I go to this house, this honest Mr. Legality? Well, do you see that hill in the distance? Yes. Go around the hill, and the first house you come to is his. So Christian left his path to go to Mr. Legality's house for help. He was struck by how high and foreboding the hill appeared. One side of the hill hung over the path that wound its way around it. Christian feared that the overhanging hill would fall on him. Filled with fear, Christian stopped his journey and stood still, wondering what he should do. His burden also now seemed heavier to him than it was just a moment before, before he'd taken the detour off the path that the evangelist had instructed him to follow. Flashes of fire came out of the hill, and Christian was afraid that he would be burned up. Christian began to sweat and quake with fear. He was now sorry that he had taken Mr. Worldly Wiseman's counsel. It was when he was filled with regret that he saw evangelists coming to meet him. At the sight of him, Christian began to blush in shame. Evangelists drew nearer and nearer to Christian, and looking at him with a severe and dreadful countenance, he began reasoning with Christian. "'What are you doing here, Christian?' Hearing these words, Christian did not know how to answer, and he stood speechless before him. Aren't you the man whom I found crying outside of the walls of the city of destruction? Yes, sir, I am that man. Didn't I direct you to the way that leads to the small sheep gate? Yes, sir. 
How is it then that you've so quickly turned aside, for you are no longer following the way I showed you? Christian explained, After I'd gone over the swamp of despond, I met a gentleman who persuaded me that I might find relief for my burden from a certain man in the village that lies ahead. Well, who was he? He looked like a gentleman, talked much like that to me. So finally I yielded to his request. So I came here, but when I saw this hill and how it hangs over the hill, over the path, I suddenly stopped my journey, fearing this mountain would fall on my head. Well, what did this gentleman say to you? Why, he asked me where I was going, so I told him. And what did he say then? Well, he asked me if I had a family. I told him I did, but that I was so pressed down with the burden that's on my back that I cannot take pleasure in them as I once did. Well, then what did he say? He told me to quickly get rid of my burden. I, I told him it was it was for ease of this burden that I sought. Then I told him that I was going to the small sheep gate up ahead to receive further direction on how I might get to the place of deliverance. He said he would show me a better way, a shorter way, one without difficulties. He said, I will direct you to a gentleman who has the skill to take off your burden. So I believed him and turned from the way, the way you sent me into this into this path, so that I might find relief from my burden. But now that I've come near, I see how dangerous things are. I stopped in fear. Now I don't know what to do. Then Evangelist said, Stand still for a while, so that I may show you the words of God. So Christian stood trembling, as the Evangelist said, See that you do not refuse him who is speaking. For if they did not escape when they refused him who warned them on earth, much less will we escape if we reject him who warns from heaven. He also said, Now the just shall live by faith, but if any man draws back, God's soul will not be pleased with him. You have begun to reject the counsel of the Most High and to draw back your foot from the way of peace, even to your own destruction. Christian fell down at Evangelist's feet as if he were dead, crying, Woe is me! Woe is me! Woe is me! I'm undone! When Evangelist saw this, he lifted him up with his right hand and said, Every sin and blasphemy will be forgiven, people. Do not disbelieve, but believe. Christian regained some of his strength and stood up trembling before Evangelist. Then Evangelist proceeded, saying, Give earnest attention to the things I'm going to tell you. I will now show you who it was that deluded you, and to whom it was he sent you. The man that met you is named Mr. Worldly Wise Man, and he is well named because he loves only the doctrine of this world. He always goes to the town of morality to attend church. He loves that doctrine best because it keeps him away from the cross, and because he is in this fleshly disposition 
He tries to direct poor sinners away from the path which I send them. (coughs) Pardon me. Even though this is the only path that will set a man free. His convincing you to leave the right path, you must abhor. You must hate. His effort to make the cross repulsive to you, you must hate. His sending you on a way that leads you to death, you must utterly hate. First, you must hate his turning you out of the right way and also your own willingness to consent to his counsel. You must hate it because this is to reject the counsel of God in exchange for the counsel of worldly wise men. The Lord says, Strive to enter through the narrow door, the narrow door to which I send you, for the gate is narrow and the way is hard that leads to life, and those who find it are few. From this narrow gate, from the way that leads to it, has this wicked man turned you, and by so doing he has almost brought you to your own destruction. You must hate that he turned you out of the right way, and hate yourself for listening to him. Secondly, you must abhor his effort to make the cross loathsome to you, for the cross is what you are to prefer above all else, even more than all the treasures of Egypt. Besides, the king of glory has told you that whoever finds his life will lose it, and if anyone comes to me and does not hate his own father and mother, his wife and children, brothers and sisters, yes, even his own life, he cannot be my disciple." Anyone who tries to persuade you otherwise is opposing the only truth by which you can have eternal life. And you must hate all such doctrine. Thirdly, you must hate that he directed you into a way that leads to death. You must also know that the person to whom he sent you and how unable that person is to deliver you from your burden. The person to whom you were sent for relief, whose name is Legality, is the son of a slave woman, who, with all of her children, is still in bondage. The mountain that you feared will fall on your head is Mount Sinai. Now, if the slave woman and all of her children are in bondage, how can you expect, then, that it would set you free from your burden? This Mr. Legality is not able to loose you of your burden. No man has ever gotten rid of his burden by Mr. Legality's help, nor are any going to. You cannot be set free by works of the law, for by the deeds of the law no man is able to get right and get rid of his burden. Mr. Worldly Wise Man is an alien, and Mr. Legality is a cheat. As for his son's civility, notwithstanding his pleasant looks, he is nothing more than a hypocrite who is unable to help you. Believe me, there is nothing in all the noise that you heard from those dull men but an intent to rob you of your salvation by turning you away from the way which I directed you. Now, I want to stop a moment. Many of you have been turned aside by the belief that instead of dealing with the grinding poverty of your spirit, 
instead of severing the root of self, that you could dress self up in what many false preachers are calling grace. That you didn't need to turn from your sin. That faith in the blood of Jesus would not wash and cleanse you and make you whole and make you sacred and holy before Almighty God. This issue is so pressing. It is so deceiving. Because somehow we can say, oh, I read the Bible every day, I pray every day, I give my tithe, I stop fornicating, I stop going to pornography, I stop this and I stop that, and now I'm okay. And my burden is gone because Jesus loves me unconditionally just the way I am, so I don't have to go all the way to the bottom and deal all the way to the bottom. No, that's legalism. Thinking that I have these things correctly done in my life, therefore I'm covered by grace. When Jesus looks at me, he doesn't see my sin. He sees himself. When I stand before the judgment bar of God, I don't have to be holy and righteous because I'm saved by grace. And look, I have these things I do. I've gone to these workshops. I've worked these strategies. I've done this and this and this. I'm holy before God. By the grace of Jesus, somebody said to me yesterday, God is good. What that person meant is God is like Santa Claus. He unconditionally loves me. I'm fine. I accepted Jesus. No, the question is not, did you accept Jesus? The question is, did Jesus accept you? And Jesus will not accept you until you've gone to the very bottom. You have confessed your sins. You have mourned over your sins before a holy and righteous God. You have wept over your wickedness. You have sought him with all of your heart. See, why don't you have overwhelming joy in Jesus Christ? If you don't have that peace and that overwhelming joy of a righteous and holy life, it's because you didn't go to the bottom. You did not enter the kingdom of God by the narrow gate. By the groaning gate is the Greek word. You can't take baggage through that gate. It's so narrow, baggage won't fit. And you'll have to squeeze through. It's not a, a large gate. Oh, there is a broad gate. And most American churches are situated on that broad highway. See, I see people go to a spirit-filled, quote-unquote, church. They have tears coming down their face as they listen to the praise and worship music. They speak in tongues. And then they go live like the devil. 
They gossip. They're angry. They're bitter. They're judgmental. They lie. They cheat. They steal. They fornicate. They spend their money the same way the world would spend their money. They've not laid their life down for the cross of Jesus Christ. They just got religion. Getting religion is not enough. You can go to Mr. Legality and he'll tell you, look, you need to do this and this and this, and if you do, you'll have fellowship with God. Wrong. We can emotionally convince ourselves of almost anything. That's not enough. We need the real deal. That's why the Holy Spirit said to me, the root of self must be severed. The root of self is severed as we come in confession, tears, and mourning before Almighty God regarding the wickedness of our flesh, of our heart, of what we have said and done, of what we have thought, of where we have gone. And as we come to the bottom of that, then Jesus comes close. And as Jesus comes close, we begin to walk by faith in Jesus. And by the power of his blood, We no longer walk in any known sin or rebellion against the Almighty God. Our hearts are not filled with pride. Our hearts are not judgmental. We don't call people garbage. We don't look down our noses at the unbeliever. Rather, we weep over them. We're not arrogant. We're not proud. Please hear what I'm saying to you. If you feel no conviction in your heart as one as one dear woman said to me, "Pastor, I have no sin. I've always been a good person." They're totally out of touch with the reality of their heart. They would call Jesus a liar. He knew what was in all men's and women's hearts, and he would not entrust himself to the human heart. Has to be a divine, miraculous miracle of grace that takes place only in the place of grinding poverty of spirit and mourning over that grinding poverty of spirit. When we recognize we have no right to heaven, we have no sense of entitlement in our spirits, we have no sense of pride and arrogance before a holy God, before our brothers and sisters, we we recognize how we have mistreated the almighty God of heaven 
We don't glibly and quickly say, oh, I repented of my sin and now I'm free to go. No, you're not. No, you're not free to go anywhere except to hell. Getting down on your knees and saying, Jesus, I repent of my sins, is not repenting of your sins. Because you have no sense of how you have offended the blood of Jesus Christ shed for you. You have no awareness of your desperate need. So you still continue to participate in the entertainment of the world. You still pursue the Redskins. You still pursue the baseball. You still pursue the sports and all the things of the world. You still are pursuing your ambitious desire for money. You're not a Christian. You're not a Christ follower. Until there is that deep, heartbroken conviction of sin. You're not a Christian. One man said to me, a pastor, I said to him what I often ask people when I meet them. What's your walk like with Jesus? Tell me about tell me about how it is between you and Jesus. And he very quickly, with a bright smile on his face, said, Jesus is my very best buddy. We're buddies. We walk together. I said, oh. Okay. I became better acquainted with him. Discovered that he was deep into pornography. That he was very angry with God for the failures that he saw happening in his ministry. I watched how he treated his wife with disrespect and disdain. My heart was broken. Because on the outside, he was this wonderful, smiling pastor who's Jesus' best buddy. But inside, he was a rotten tomb of dead bones. A rotten tomb of dead bones a graveyard, a stench of death. What I'm trying today to do is to help you recognize you can't go to morality and legalism and expect that you will enter the kingdom of God. After this, evangelist called aloud to the heavens for confirmation of what he had said. And with that came words and fire out of the mountain under which poor Christian stood that made his hair stand on end. The words that Christian heard were these, for all who rely on works of the law are under a curse, 
For it is written, Cursed be everyone who does not abide by all things written in the book of the law and do them. You know, it's interesting to me. Let me turn quickly to it. Jesus said at the end of the of the Beatitudes in the Sermon on the Mount, he said, do not begin to think that I came to abolish the law or the prophets. I came not to abolish, but to fulfill. That is, he came to perfectly keep the law. For truly I say to you, unless the heaven and the earth may pass away, one iota or one stroke may by no means pass away from the law until all things may come to pass. Consequently, if any person may break one of these least commandments and may teach men so, he will be called least by the kingdom of heaven. But whoever may do and may teach them, this man will be called great by the kingdom of the heavens. For I say unto you that unless your righteousness may exceed that of the scribes and the Pharisees, you may be by no means entering into the kingdom of the heaven. There is a righteousness Paul talks about in the first chapter of Romans. There is a righteousness that comes to us, that is available to us, that is not by the law. But when one accepts by faith this righteousness, we are made righteous by the blood of Jesus, and we are made righteous in him. We are regenerate in him and perfectly keep the law by faith in Jesus Christ. Now, please don't misunderstand what I'm saying. In the modern church, we've made righteousness a shell game. In the scripture, it's not a shell game. It's the real deal. That's why when a man comes to the very bottom of his own heart and his own wickedness and he mourns over that, the Beatitudes are going to outline for us a step-by-step process by which we are literally made righteous. In reality, we are made righteous. And we no longer walk in the wickedness of law-breaking but not by trying to keep the law in some moralistic fashion. We keep the law because the Holy Spirit now abides in us. Jesus abides in us, as Paul put it in the sixth chapter of of Romans. We're crucified with Christ. We're born again. As Jesus said to Nicodemus, We're transformed into new people. Paul in the Colossians speaks about having our hearts circumcised by Jesus. This is not make-believe stuff. This is real righteousness. There is a deliverance for you from every bondage of sin, from every addiction. Every bondage and every addiction has in it an element of demonic power that binds you, that strips you, 
that causes you to cower. You know when you're not right with God. Now, come on, be honest with me. You know when you're not right with God. And you cannot be right with God until you have gone to the very bottom of your wickedness and allowed by the blood of Jesus that tap root to be utterly cut off. Have you ever tried to kill the dandelions in your yard? If you pull that dandelion off, it'll break the taproot, but that taproot will produce more dandelions in your yard. You can take the appearance away. That taproot has to be utterly destroyed, or that dandelion will prosper in your yard and spread itself everywhere. So it is with sin. The taproot must be cut off. That can only be done by the grace of God. By the power of the blood. He continues. Christian looked for nothing but death and began to cry out desperately even cursing the time he had met with Mr. Worldly Wise Man, calling himself a thousand fools for listening to his counsel. He also was greatly ashamed to think that this gentleman's arguments flowing only from the deception of the flesh could have persuaded him to forsake the right way. The right way is the only way and that is to wait before God until all known sin is utterly cut off and removed, and the old man of your flesh is removed in what the Apostle Paul calls entire sanctification, to be entirely sanctified through and through, to be made holy. I'm so tired of the lies that somehow... I'm going to have to struggle with the old man of flesh all of my life. No, I was not called to struggle with the old man of flesh. I have to deal with it once and for all and be done with it so that I can use my time, my energy, my money for the work of the kingdom of God, that I can minister to you on the radio, that I can testify wherever I go that Jesus Christ is real that I can have the joy of the Lord in my heart, that I can walk free and rejoice in His mercy and His grace. If you still have hidden doubts, if you are still plagued by any level of guilt, it's because you have not yet gone to the bottom and allowed the Holy Spirit to utterly sever and destroy that taproot of sin in your heart. I've said this to you before, but my father, a very wise Christian man, a lay pastor, would always say to me, Raymond, your last day on earth, you'll be the same person you 
were the first day of heaven. Or the first day of heaven, you're going to be the same as you were the last day on earth. Oh, not the body. We'll have a new body. I'm talking about the character, the soul, the spirit. If we're not made holy now, we will never be made holy. Everybody pretends that when a man dies or a woman dies, they went to a better place. They went to heaven. If that were true, heaven would be hell. It would be just like it is here on this earth. No, only the righteous are going to go to heaven. Not those who are declared righteous, rather those who are made righteous, who've been filled with the glorious power of the Holy Spirit, who have Jesus dwelling in them. Now, don't tell me you have the mighty King of kings, the Lord of lords, dwelling in you, And you still have a judgmental spirit. You still have ill will toward a brother or a sister. You still gossip. You still speak with judgment against a brother or a sister. Don't tell me, don't tell me that you're saved. And you're still in the wickedness of your flesh. You cannot be saved and lost at the same time. You cannot be wicked and righteous at the same time. A stream does not run with salt water and with fresh water at the same time. And the door or the entrance begins in the Beatitudes. Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs will be the kingdom of heaven. How will it be that they will have the kingdom of heaven? Because that is the entrance into the kingdom of heaven, where there is a full discovery of the grinding poverty of our soul. And we finally begin to cry, Jesus, Jesus, have mercy on me. I am a sinner. And we recognize and know our sin before a holy and righteous God. And we cry out for mercy that he would remove this, that by his blood he would forgive and transform and change, that he would regenerate our hearts in righteousness and purity. Can I be honest? I'm so sick in my spirit of make-believe Christian life. I'm so broken in my heart over people who say one thing and then do another. I'm so heartbroken. Yes, for the lost but much, much more so for those who say they are a follower of Jesus Christ, but they walk in the lust of the flesh, the love of the world. They walk in judgment. They walk in anger and ill will. They 
They walk not in love, but they walk in hardness of heart. I'm sick in my spirit about this. There has to be a dramatic change in the church. We've lost our saltiness. Oh, we look good. Big buildings, big this, big that. Big budgets, big pastors, high salaries. But a false righteousness. A false righteousness. Christian asks, evangelist, is there hope for me? May I go back to the way and up to the sheep gate? Will I be abandoned for this and sent back from where I came disgraced and ashamed? I'm sorry I listened to worldly wise man's counsel. Can my sins be forgiven? The evangelist said to him, Your sin is very great, for by it you have committed two evils. You have forsaken the way that is good, and you have walked in forbidden paths. Yet will the man at the gate receive you, for he has good will for men. Evangelist warned Christian to be very careful not to turn aside again, lest he perish in the way. For his wrath is quickly kindled. Psalm 2.12 Christian asked to go back to the way leading to the narrow sheep gate. An evangelist, after he had kissed him, gave him a smile and bid him Godspeed. I give you my kiss of peace if you have decided today to deal to the bottom of your wicked heart. If you've decided to leave behind the sinning Christian lie and trust only in the righteousness of Jesus, brother, my sister. There is a way that seemeth right unto a man, but it leads to destruction. I don't want you to go that way. I want you to get right with Jesus. Now, we're almost out of time. We are still $1,200 short of being able to pay for this month's radio. This has been a very slim week. I received one letter from Thomas. Thomas, thank you. And I'm very excited by the fact that you were a part of, of Rusty and Malcolm Lavender's church. We'll talk more about that later. I hope to make his 
his Bible available. They're printing a new Lavender's New Testament. <clears throat> but we're still $1,200 short. We have some, we have a pledge. The pledge has not come in yet. I'm wondering, will you help cover the cost of this gospel broadcast? You can do so by going to our webpage, nationalprayerchapel.com, and you can give online. I'm very grateful to those of you who have done that this month. That's why we're so close to our goal of almost $4,000. But we're still 1200 short of having in the bank the money to pay for this month's radio bill. You can also write to me at the National Prayer Chapel, Post Office Box 2346, Woodbridge, Virginia, 22195. Again, that address, the National Prayer Chapel, Post Office Box 2346, Woodbridge, Virginia, 22195. You've been listening to Pilgrim's Progress. I'm Ray Greenley from the National Prayer Chapel. Tomorrow is going to be a day of prayer. I urge you, come and pray. I know that you will not be able to pray if you have not dealt to the bottom of your sin. I know there will not be that joy in your heart unless you call and willingly confess that you've not dealt to the bottom and you're prepared to do so. But call and pray for the nation, pray for the church, but especially pray for you and your family. Well, God bless you, my brother, my sister. I love you. I'll talk to you soon. <laughs>